Bring It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. Good evening. I'm William Hosea. Welcome once again to Bring It On, a multiple award-winning program. And for more than 12 years, we remain Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting our African-American community. Good evening. I'm Leela Randall. And in today's broadcast, we'll bring you the latest news and calendar all in the next hour on Bring It On. But first, Dr. Mark K. Winston is the Assistant Superintendent of Curriculum and Instruction for the Monroe County Community School Corporation. She has been described as a dynamic and visionary administrator with a proven track record of superior performance. She is a dedicated career educator that is led by her principles and convictions when it comes to advocating on behalf of children, especially children with diverse learning needs. She has successfully led organizational transformation efforts within urban school districts. Her dedication to education, equity, instructional leadership, inclusive practices, and collaborative community partnerships typify her approach to urban education. Her expertise includes students with disabilities, English language learners, gifted learners, and students on the margins within public education. Dr. Winston is a frequently sought-after keynote speaker, conference presenter, panel participant, and educational consultant. In 2015, Dr. Winston was awarded an honorary doctorate degree from Central College and received their alumni award in 2014. We are very pleased that she has carved time out of her busy schedule to join us this evening for a discussion on a variety of topics pertaining to the MCCSC. And with that, Dr. Winston, welcome to Bring It On. Thank you so much for inviting me. Finally, welcome. we've been chasing welcome. you for a while. Oh, it couldn't be that long. I've only been here three months. <laughs> okay, well, I guess I guess that would be a relative thing. Huh? Okay, okay. So but did you know that they uh, described you as a, uh, how did I say it, a visionary and uh, dynamic? I did not. I, I, I appreciate the, uh, the compliment. Um, I was wondering where, where you came up with that. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but thank you. Those are very kind words. And we only deal in truth here. Isn't that right, Leela? All the time, all day, every day long. So, Dr. Winston, why don't, how about we start off by you telling us a little bit about yourself, something, you know, something that we did not uh, uh, read in our opening uh, comments. Okay. Well, I'm new to Bloomington. And I'm new to uh, the Monroe County Community School System. Um, I'm approaching my th- uh, the completion of my first 90 days. Um, prior to, to being here, I, I actually have moved here from Ohio, Cincinnati, Ohio area. Um, after I graduated from undergraduate college, I uh, transitioned to Cincinnati, Ohio, where I attended the University of Cincinnati and received both my master's as well as my doctoral degrees. Um, my doctoral degree is in the area of school psychology and counseling. And then from there, I went on and began practicing as a school psychologist in the uh, public school system there in Cincinnati. Um, Decided that I wanted to go into administration as a result of oftentimes being asked to oversee a lot of projects and initiatives. And so 
um, went back to Xavier University in Cincinnati and got my administrative licenses. And so I've been practicing um, as a school psychologist for a number of years, and then I moved into administration. I've been in administration probably about 15 years um, at the district level, um, and I've enjoyed that. A lot of my work has led uh, me to focus on issues of equity, um, mm-hmm. as well as opportunities for, like you indicated, uh, diverse populations. My background in specifically is in the area of special education, education gifted, as well as English language learners. Um, but I've done a lot of work in the area of general education as well. So I was very excited when the opportunity presented itself to, uh, to come to Bloomington and see if I could offer some um, uh, supports to the, to the students here in, in the public school system. Does your work in special education include uh, special needs children as well as gifted learners? Yes. Okay. So how did they hear about you? What have you been doing in Cincinnati that NCC said, um, you know what, I think we need her here in this community? Very good question. Um, I would say that my work in the Cincinnati area has been uh, pretty significant in terms of collaboration with community partners in the areas that I mentioned previously. But in addition to that, I, I spent four years in the Chicago public school system where I also had an opportunity to uh, to work very collaboratively with the local uh, local citizens, uh, local government, as, as well as um, spearhead a number of transformational efforts. Um, we did a lot of work in Chicago where we were really working to kind of tra- change and uh, transform the conditions for a uh, very diverse population of students. And I, I think that we were quite successful in doing some of that work. Um, I then transitioned back to Ohio and uh, at that time, I was working as the chief academic officer in the Dayton, Ohio area, and this opportunity presented itself. I hadn't really been seeking this p- particular opportunity. It kind of uh, just kind of jumped out at me, and it sounded like an interesting um, position. And so I decided to go ahead and uh, throw my hat in the ring, and that's how I ended up here. Okay, let's. Uh, that's interesting. You, you don't. You haven't. Uh, uh let the grass grow under your feet for too long in your career, huh? Not recently, you know, and then the the interesting thing about that I would say is that the first 15 to 20 years of my career um, were were in the Cincinnati area. And uh, there came some opportunities that I bypassed. And uh, I remember my superintendent said to me once upon a time, she said, well, Marquet, if you keep turning down opportunities, Mm -hmm. soon they're gonna dry up and you're not gonna have them. And so, so I, I thought long and hard about some of those opportunities, and, and I hadn't actually had said no to Chicago a couple of times. They actually had reached out to me and to see if I would be interested in coming to assist them in doing some, some change effort that uh, the CEO at the time was exploring. And I didn't think I wanted to go to Chicago, and yet it ended up being one of the best opportunities okay, right. fr- from a professional standpoint in terms of growth and learning and uh, expanding my leadership skills. And uh, that was probably my first um, venture into kind of stepping outside of my comfort zone, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And so, so the first 20 years of my career, I, I lived in the same house. And uh, the last five years of my career, I've, I've kind of stepped out a little bit and, and um, been willing to explore some change and, and willing to kind of share what I think are my gifts to hopefully help to benefit more children in, in different locations. Okay, well now you are here with us in Bloomington so uh, we're going to talk about uh, MCCSC. Okay. Now, 
you seem to be well-rounded in your experiences so far uh, in the broad range of work that you do, the uh, different places that you worked. How would you compare Bloomington to other places that you've been? I, I know we, you know, there are some unique aspects of Bloomington that you've probably noticed. Can you tell us uh, what they are? That's an excellent question, you know, and because my family members have asked me the same question, and, uh-huh. and so have some of my friends. You know, what is it about Bloomington that appealed, and, and what are some of the similarities and differences? And I would say that, you know, the, the resounding similarity is that there are children um, who can benefit from additional supports. Um, I think that another uh, similarity is um, it's a growing a growing community with an increasingly diverse population of students. Yeah. And so I think that diversity appealed to me, the, 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 the growth of that diversity. I think that the variety of experiences that I've had I, I, um, lend themselves well to be able to, to be a positive force for um, continuing the, the great academic progress that's been made here. Um, and so uh, wanting to be able to contribute to that. So I, I see a lot of similarities. Um, it's Certainly it's not urban in the sense of the districts that I've been in, but I, there's still an urban component to it, perhaps. Um, and I think that there are some opportunities that um, when you when you think about making sure that all of our children are benefiting from the quality education that can be received here, um, if there's an opportunity or a way for that to happen, I want to be able to contribute to that. And, and that's probably been my passion throughout the course of my career, wherever I've been. Okay, so what is your specific role there here at MCCSC? My specific role is as the Assistant Superintendent for Curriculum Instruction and Assessment. Okay, and that would include curriculum for higher education, like 8 to 12, little itty-bitties, pre-kindergarten, first, second, grade. So where exactly is it? As the Assistant Superintendent, um, my responsibilities cover the entire gamut in terms of preschool through 12th grade. And so it's, it's... it's my responsibility and obligation to make sure that we are um, offering a, a good curriculum, to make sure that the curriculum is being delivered appropriately across the school district, uh, to make sure that all of our students have access to that curriculum, and that um, they also have opportunities for assistance and support if they're doing uh, really, really well. We want to be able to accelerate their learning. If they're struggling, we want to make sure that we are responsive and provide interventions. Um, to that end, I specifically oversee more of the secondary, the middle school through high school, and so I spend more of my time focusing on um, middle school, high school curriculum and instruction and, and supports for those schools, but ultimately the superintendent will hold me accountable for what we're doing pre-K through 12. Well, I've noticed, because I've been um, a substitute teacher in the MCCSC, and whatever the vision is for the middle school principal, that seems to be the riding factor. So to me, there was never any kind of mm, cohesiveness in the instruction. Are you going to try to make it a little bit more um, cohesive throughout instead of whoever is on top in that area, this is their vision and this is how they run their their camp? That's a good question. You know, I'm almost reaching, my, next week will be my 90th day of actual work in the in the corporation, and so I'm very excited about that. People have heard me talk about um, my first 90 days and my 90-day my, my action plan. And I would say that the focus of my first 90 days has really been to kind of learn as much as I possibly can, to 
get to know teachers, to get to know the principals, to kind of jump in and uh, get my hands dirty, so to speak, uh, as it relates to curriculum, looking at programming and, and such. And so as I've, as I've spent this time these last uh, few weeks and months, I do hope to be able to um, support the school district so that everybody understands that we're all on the same page and the direction mm -hmm. that we're going and to be able to support all of our building administrators um, as well as our classroom teachers in terms of the, the larger vision of making sure that we're offering a quality instructional program for every individual student regardless of what their, their need level is. And so to that end, I, I'm hopeful that I'll be able to articulate a vision of the superintendent of the school board to make sure that the programming that we're offering is in fact responsive to, to the needs of all of our kids. Okay. Have you noticed that or is it just something, I think I've noticed that that's why I would pick and choose what school that I would send my daughter to because you know certain you know principals had certain visions but there just never seemed to be any kind of consistency within the visions for the, the especially the um, so you're so saying it's not education. standard across the no, school? No, it's, it's not standard. Okay. It's not standard. And that's, that was one of my concerns. You know, th my concerns here when my, my, when my child was in the MCCSE, you know, it just didn't seem like, you know, every school had their own vision and this is how they taught. And I just thought, you know, I, I grew up differently where, I mean, if you went to any, I went to a Lutheran school, or you went to any Lutheran school, we were pretty much on the same page. And I think my counterparts, when they were in public school, it was pretty much the same. When I came down here, it was just really different, and it, it, was, a, it was confusing, and um, I, really didn't, I really didn't like that because, I mean, I think that's education to be, to give everybody, a, you know, an equity and a shot at the same learning you know, learning available, I think it should be a little bit more consistent. Well, you know, I, I think you make a good point because I have been in school districts where if we had 52 schools, we might have had 52 different um, approaches to what that needed to look like. And, and, and I've worked with uh, superintendents who've who've assisted and kind of helped us to make sure that we all were working under one vision. And, and it's, it's my sense early on that that's the direction that we want to be going as well. Um, and my job and my responsibility is to try to make sure that I help to articulate what that is and that I provide the necessary supports to, to make sure that that happens. You know, we all have the same standards that the state <coughs> of Indiana uh, says that we should have. I know there's been a lot of effort to make sure that we have common assessments across all of our schools and that we have benchmark assessments that we're using. And so those kinds of assessments will help us to kind of be on the same vision. Um, but at the same time, I, I never want to um, dilute principal individuality mm -hmm. and their leadership styles. And so what I think I can bring to the table is is helping to articulate what that vision is and, and to support the execution and the implementation of that vision while still supporting our building principals to be the instructional leaders of that building. There is a fine line there, mm -hmm. and it's, it's not an easy thing. Mm -hmm. um, I've worked in districts where it's been very challenging, um, much larger districts mm -hmm. where it's been very challenging to do that. So I, I understand and, and hear what you're saying, mm -hmm. and I, I can't say that I've been here long enough to, to know what the reality is there, but I'm 
asking lots of questions. I'm, I'm trying to learn as much as I can um, as quickly as possible um, because I believe that day 91, it's on <laughs> from, from my perspective <laughs> in terms of the level of accountability that I hold myself to. And, and I think the accountability that the superintendent will hold me to as well. Day 91, you're going to you ready to get the party started. Huh? <laughs> She's no longer the newbie, no, the yeah. new girl. I can't use that any longer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I really can't use it now. <laughs> Truth be told. Now, at the beginning of uh, each one, one of our shows, we always say that we explore people, issues, and events impacting the African-American community. Mm -hmm. I think it's safe to say that you're the first African-American person to be in that position. And uh, as a black person, have you identified any disparities in uh, the way that uh, African-American children perform or uh, Within within the scope of your job of curriculum and instruction, have you do you see any deficiencies or disparities that need to be addressed? I um I tend to be a strength based I tend to bring a strength based perspective and and what I would say that I have seen early on is opportunities and so I see some opportunities for us to strengthen how our children of color whether they be Latino African American. Mm-hmm. Um, other ethnicities and other other racial groups, I, I see some opportunities for us to strengthen learning outcomes for those populations of children. And so, without a doubt, um, are they learning at the same levels as other students, as as non uh, uh, as children from different backgrounds or maybe more um, more less diverse backgrounds? There is a there's truly a difference there. Um, and what one of the things that I think the superintendent is holding me accountable to as well is to support our teaching staff and to support our building principals in uh, understanding cultural responsive practices and looking at what does that mean in terms of a classroom instruction. And so from that perspective, I do see opportunities for us to, to strengthen what we're doing to make sure that we have teachers in classrooms who understand cultural differences um, understand what the instructional approaches are that are going to be most appropriate for those students, and understanding how just simply recognition of uh, culture and uh, bias, what roles those things play within our classrooms. Thank you, and uh, that, that provides me with a good segue to my next question, and it, it builds on the question that she asked earlier about uh, the approach being standard across the board. So. If there are some cultural uh, issues to be addressed, can you can you say that, or, or do you want to make uh, that approach uh, standard from one school to the next? I'll give you an example. Mm-hmm. Uh, last year, I think it was at Bloomington North, there was an issue with the Confederate flag, and and what we found out was the policy addressing that issue was not consistent from one school to the next. But something like that, it definitely should be. Now, that's not a learning issue, but it, it affects a learning environment, of course. So issues like that, um, can you see where that should be consistent from one school to the next when, when, when you uh, develop a policy? I, I think that's a, that's, a, that's a good question. My take on that would be that the school board has policies mm-hmm. in place 
and they also have administrative guidelines. And so the policy is to, is to set, the, set the tone for the direction that the school district is supposed to be taking as it relates to whatever the, the subject area or the topic area is. And as you're, you're giving the example from North High School last year, um, I don't know how it was handled, of course. Um, I know that there was a lot, of, um, a lot of effort and a lot of energy in, in responding to that. Um, what I think we need to do a, a better job of collectively is making sure that, one, everybody knows what the policies are. Uh, two, right. everyone understands what the administrative guidelines, and, and, and the administrative guidelines are kind of like, how do you implement the policy? Provided there, there, provided there is a policy. Because once again, there was no no uh, um, uh, community wide policy addressing that issue. It was uh, according to whatever school uh, you you went to. Well, and I think that's Does where that makes sense. Um, I can't speak to that, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, I, I can't speak to that, but understood. What I would want, I would want us to have more uniformity in terms of how we respond you know, to um, issues and violations of our code of conduct. If, 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 if yeah, the issue that, in question, that's my question is a violation of the, of the student's code of conduct, I would want us to have more consistency in terms of how we approach that. I would want to make sure that we've got um, opportunities for our building administrators to have conversations mm -hmm. and dialogue mm -hmm. around what might that look like. If this were to happen in your building, how would you approach that? Um, one of the responsibilities that I have is to, to make sure that I am, in fact, monitoring um, what the code of conduct looks like across each of our buildings. And so that we have, in fact, a more consistency and continuity. So that if you go from school A to school B to school C, hopefully if you're receiving English language arts instruction, you're getting a comparable, if not identical, instructional program. And similarly, um, when we have um, violations of our code of conduct that we are adhering to the board policy and the administrative guidelines in a consistent manner. And so I, I think that lets me know that we have many opportunities for more training um, and more discussion and, 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 and guidance on how do we apply that? What does that look like? It, we, we don't want to be in a situation where we have uh, 50 different schools applying the procedures and guidelines right. differentially. Working, end up working against each other. Well, um, another thing that I've seen in MCCSC is the disparity in the types of populations that govern the different districts. Um, in some some areas, the parents' um, income is above average, and some of them they're like lower, so those kids stay in those areas. How can you? Um, distribute um, the children, let's say, in one area where the school is maybe 98% in poverty level and everybody is getting um, free lunch, whereas there's a school across town where probably very, it, very many people get free lunch. And I just think that there's also some inequality and equity going on there, too. So how would you address something like that? Well, I think I would need to learn a little bit more about okay. that, and I, I think the fact that I'm a newcomer to mm -hmm. the community, I, I don't know all of those dynamics that you're describing. Mm -hmm. um, part of our focus, however, is to make sure that regardless of what school you're in, mm -hmm. that you're receiving the highest quality of instruction um, from the highest quality of, of teachers, 
whether you're on the east side, west side, north or, north or south, is that we want to make sure that all of our students have access to the, the kinds of teaching that it's, going to that it's going to be required in order for them to be successful. You know, so when I think about the variety of programming that we offer, it's, it's important to note that we offer STEM programs across the city. We, we offer um, an increased number of uh, dual language immersion programs. We also are looking at um, the uh, two new IB programs that we've initiated within the past year, which takes us to three. You know, and so it's important to me. I'm sorry, what, what programs? Uh, I'm sorry. I, I used an acronym instead okay. of saying International Baccalaureate. Okay. You know, and so wanting to make sure that part of the equity effort, I think, is having more availability of more of these kinds of academic program options available so that all students have access to that, and it's not based upon where you live. You know, it's not based upon your zip code, but it's based upon the fact that we want to have all of our students have uh, more opportunities and, and access to a variety of challenging curricular programs that are going to be beneficial. I know we've got our Earth program. We've got, I mentioned STEM already. Um, you know, we have a number of other initiatives that we're trying to move forward throughout the district. And, and I think that it's imperative as we, as we think about equity, as we think about opportunities for our students, that we make sure that every student, regardless of whether it's a 98% poverty, uh, which you were mentioning before, or nobody is on free and reduced lunch, that the students in those schools still have equitable access to, uh, to the kind of quality programming that, that my office is going to be supporting and initiating as we go forward. As you have probably guessed by now, our questions are not restricted to just curriculum and instruction. Right? I kind of have gu guessed that, and, <laughs> okay, and, and, so. yet, and yet my area of expertise and, uh, and background is, is going to probably lend my responses more to curriculum yeah. when appropriate. Um, but if I, if I do, if I've learned something early on, you know, my first couple months here, <clears throat> I'm happy to, to share that. You will share it. It's know. okay. Then let, let me bring up another question. Um, one issue that came to light recently at uh, one of the schools is uh, one of the students taking a knee during the national anthem. And the school administrators were caught completely off guard with that, and they did not know how to respond to it. So they're kind of trying to develop a policy on the fly. But in my opinion, that's obviously something that's going to have to be addressed at the school board level eventually because uh, an issue like that is not likely to go away. So my question is, um, has there been any uh, effort to address that uh, so far? Or ha has it even come up? Has the, the policy question come up? Yes, has the yes. issue, I mean, the, the, the situation the, in general come up? Yes, just the issue in general. Now, I know there's no policy yet, but. Well, actually, there is policy that I think speaks to uh, freedom of speech of our students. Okay. You know, so, so there is board policy that exists that would speak to their opportunity to be able to express themselves uh -huh. freely. Um, I think that the, the main aspect to the policy that, that's currently on record and has been on record within the, with the school board for a number of years, uh, based upon my research of that, has been around the fact that their expression cannot, in fact, 
interfere with the learning environment. And in the situation <clears throat> that you're describing, I don't believe there was an, a question of interference of the learning environment. And so um, I, it's my understanding that the way in which it was addressed was that um, the student was allowed, in fact, to express themselves uh, themselves, you know, in that particular situation, and I, as I understand it, as it's been explained to me. Well, they didn't know the student was going to do that, so well, it's of course not. not. How it's could not you know that, that she was allowed to to do it; she just did it. Okay. But, but let me uh, let me say something real quick for okay. our listening audience. We're speaking with Dr. Mark K. Winston, Assistant Superintendent of uh, Curriculum and Instruction from MCCSC. Now, going back to what you said about a policy already in place Mm -hmm. that um, addresses freedom of speech. Now, there are some who try and remove that uh, away from freedom of speech and and freedom of expression. Okay, perhaps. Okay, that too. But I hate to say it, but in the NFL, the whole argument has been kind of twisted to where it's not about freedom of of speech or expression. It's become, it's been uh, changed into disrespect from the national anthem, disrespect for military veterans, so on and so forth. So there there might be a policy in place that allows students to to express themselves, but then that's that's kind of a side issue that that the school board is going to have to deal with. Uh, how do you still enforce that policy when others are trying, are, are just working overtime to change it into something that is not? Uh, do you understand my question? I don't believe I do. Okay. As it <clears throat> relates to MCCSC. Okay, so at some point, let's say you have a student to take a knee during the national anthem. Okay. Uh, the policy allows it based on freedom of expression, you said, right? Correct. But there are going to be students and teachers and even administrators who don't see it that way. Oh, okay. I see your point. They want to change it into something else, and then they'll try and address it that way. Like the one student who did take a knee, um, there was reports about her, uh, somewhat one of the other students expressing his desire for lynching because of that. So, So what I'm saying is people will not react to it just based on what the school board policy is. And then you're going to have to address it from that perspective. So what is your question? (laughs) Well, again, my question goes back to, is it even, has the issue come up at the school board yet? Now, I I can't answer whether it's come up to the actual board members, but I can say that at the central office in terms of administration, I have been involved in conversation about that because I needed to understand, uh, with it being one of our secondary schools, and I oversee secondary schools, okay. I needed to have an understanding of, of what actually transpired and then how did the school respond to that. And it's my understanding that in, in that particular instance, um, the school conducted the necessary investigations uh, to address the situation. I'm not going to sit here and suggest that some individual students or other folks may not perceive that kind of an expression different or in a way that's contrary to what the board policy says, mm-hmm. because that well could happen in any school district in the country. Um, but I, I think that as, at least in terms of having a starting point, having a policy in place 
helps us. I, I think the opportunity, though, right. is to begin having more dialogue around what does that mean and, and what does the application of that policy look like. And I, and I think that's where I have an opportunity to be able to, to be um, uh, a central office leader along with my colleagues who can help us all understand what that needs to look like and also help um, our administrators understand how do they respond in those kinds of circumstances? Recognizing the larger um, political climate of our communities and our and our country, as of you know, because of what's happening at the NFL level as well. So I, I can see where some things could completely get mm-hmm. uh, blown out of proportion um, unnecessarily. Um, and yet, and still, we want to make sure that our students have the recognize that they do have rights of expression and we want to be respectful of that okay your 90 days are over (laughs) yes they are (laughs) almost and when you come back (laughs) after january and it's time for you to start that first initiative what will it be wow let me see um you have choices (laughs) (laughs) well you know you know one of the one of the major initiatives that I am going to be working on is uh, social emotional learning. Um, social emotional learning. Social emotional learning. Uh, we were just uh, fortunate to have been awarded a grant from the Lilly Foundation. Um, and the focus of the social emotional learning is, is really on supporting our students in decision making, supporting our students in, in um, um, positive, uh, positive mental health, um, behavioral health and and making sure that our students have access and know what resources are available to them so that as they are facing uh, peer challenges and challenges and stressors within our communities that we are equipping them with the necessary skills mm-hmm. um, to, to make good decisions. And so that's a major initiative. Uh, we were awarded a four-year grant to, uh, to support that particular body of work and so we're very excited about moving forward with that. Um, I can't take any credit for the grant, but I am on the receiving end of, of, of implementation. Peer challenges. That's, that's probably um, one of the more important out of the few that you mentioned, right? Okay. Well, Dr. Winston, uh, gosh, I got about seven or eight questions here that I did not get to ask. And we have about a minute left. So that means we're going to have to bring you back on because I really do want to ask those, those other questions. See, and you thought, you thought it wasn't going to last 35 minutes. We told you <laughs> it was going to last beyond. I we, did we, not we, think we so. Say, I was we, like. We always say uh, from Bloomington <laughs> and beyond. We told you it's going to take a long time. <laughs> so uh, in our last minute, uh, we'll let you have the last few words. Tell okay. us anything that you want to say, maybe that we didn't cover, something you want to reiterate. Oh, well, just just two or three quick things. You know, it's exciting to see us uh, as as uh, MCCSC begins to expand on our uh, on our way to pre-K programming. So you're going to hear a lot more about what we're doing at the preschool level. Uh, next week, we're re- really going to be kicking off our Hour of Code, which is around computer science programming for students. We want to make sure that every student in our corporation has access to uh, computer science lessons next week. Um, we also are having a number of table talks that are coming up. We began those about two weeks ago with uh, in addressing the opiate crisis, but we also have an, uh, a table talk that's coming up that's going to be focusing on social media and teenagers and young people, as well as uh, looking at early childhood programming. So there's a lot of exciting things that are happening within MCCSC that I would love to be able to, to spend some more time talking about some of the exciting programming um, that's already underway and, and additional programming that's going to be forthcoming. Awesome. 
Do any of those talks include parents? Yes, in fact, we have enough, the the table talks are all open to the community okay. and to our families. And so, if you go on our website, you'll see a series of uh, three uh, table talks that are already uh, that have already begun. And then we have a number of table talks that are going to happen after the first of the year. Three of those are specifically dedicated to culturally responsive practices and are going to be led by uh, staff from within our our corporation as well. Julius Hanks is going to be assisting in leading three of those conversations and we're hoping to get a number of uh, parents and families and community members to, to join us. Okay. We'll have to link up and find and get that information on our calendar. Right? Can you bring Julius with you when you come back? I would love to. Okay. okay. We want to thank Dr. Markay Winston, Assistant Superintendent of Curriculum and Instruction for the MCCSC Corporation, for joining us for this discussion on a, a variety of topics pertaining to the Monroe County Community School Corporation. Bring It On has an open submission policy, so if you have an idea for this program, we would like to hear it. Please send your emails to our volunteer staff. The address is bringiton at wfhb.org. We want to make sure we share any and everything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. That email address once again, bringiton at wfhb.org. If all I was was black Looking at you you might look past all the love I give. Got love to give. I've got natural gifts. Got natural gifts. Got perspective. Got perspective. Might make your shift. If all that feeling got left behind, I'd worry about you. What's in your mind? I never live my life. Are you wasting my time? Oh, I won't be afraid. I won't be afraid. If that's how you want to stay. How you want to stay? I've got love.
Support for WFHB comes from Darn Good Soup on the west side of the courthouse square, open from 11 a.m. to 7.30 p.m., serving 8 to 10 soups daily, plus salads, cookies, and ice cream. Vegetarian and vegan options abound. Darn Good Soup. It's fast, it's healthy, it's darn good. Daily menu information online at darngoodsoup.com. And I bring you back to Bring It On. You just heard If All I Was Black by Mavis Staples. This is from the self-titled CD Project. This is Bring It On, the People's Forum for Black Culture in South Central Indiana and beyond. If you're a tweeter, you're invited to follow the WFHB News Twitter account. It's a great way to get breaking news and updates on what's going on behind the scenes and on the air with WFHB News. Simply go to Twitter.com and search for WFHB News. Or you can always visit our news website at WFHB.org slash news. To keep up with local news and find out what's happening behind the scenes at WFHB, you're invited to like the WFHB Facebook page. Go to Facebook.com and search for WFHB. Or you can always visit the WFHB news website at WFHB.org slash news. Bring It On is Indiana's only public affairs program dedicated to the African-American community here on WFHB 91.3 FM and live on the web at WFHB.org. It's time now to give you the latest perspective on the people, news, and issues affecting the black community for Bring It On. I'm Leila Randall. I'm William Hosea. Okay. And I think we will start off with a story titled, All Charges Dismissed Against 15 Black Men Who Were Framed by Chicago Police. The men, all African-American, alleged that former police sergeant Ronald Watts and his team of officers planted the drugs on them and then falsified police reports. Leonard Gibson, one of the men exonerated, told reporters that Watts threatened them if they didn't pay him a so-called protection tax. Gibson comments, if you're not going to pay Watts, you were going to jail. And Gibson did serve two years in jail. He says when he was released from prison, Watts tried to put another case on him. Joshua Teffer of the Exoneration Project at the University of Chicago says that the officers targeted low-income black men who lived on the South Side or in the South Side housing projects. He even said that others in command at the Chicago Police Department knew what was going on, but did nothing to stop it. This corruption was covered up by the highest levels of the Chicago Police Department, Teffer said. It was swept under the rug. Meanwhile, the 15 men and Teffer all feel that justice has not been fully served. Sergeant Watts and another officer were convicted, served less than three years, and are now free. Even worse, as many as seven other officers have never been charged and are still working on the force. Well, okay. What do you think about that? I think that's just the tip of the proverbial spear. That's what I think. Those are only the ones that they were able to find out about. Exactly. That kind of thing is so rampant in police departments across the country. Okay. CNN says childbirth is killing black women in the U.S. According to CNN and a documentary series called Giving Birth in America, Every year, about 700 to 1,200 women die from pregnancy or childbirth complications in the United States. And black women are about three to four times more likely to die of pregnancy or delivery complications than white women. CNN interviewed Dr. Michael Lindsay, chief 
of Service for Gynecology and Obstetrician at Grady Memorial Hospital in Atlanta, and he says that it's complicated to answer why there has been a rise in deaths and why black women are more affected than um, women of other races. He comments, the racial divide in maternal deaths has been persistent for decades, so the rate is not something new. It's something we've known for for a number of years. Other doctors, however, say that they have an idea why. They blame the differences in overall health and chronic illnesses among black and white women as a driving factor for the disparity. For instance, instance, rates of obesity and high blood pressure, which are major risk factors for pregnancy complications, tend to be higher among black women. Others point to differences in socioeconomic status, access to health care, education, insurance coverage, housing, and levels of stress and community health among black and white women. I know that when I was pregnant, um, I had a very um, contentious pregnancy, too, because I did have high blood pressure, which led to gestational diabetes and the whole nine yards. But because I was fortunate enough to have a good um, insurance and Mm -hmm. prenatal care and doctors that were (coughs) watching my every um, movement and throughout the pregnancy, that that's why um, it was... He still came early, but I just think that um, there would probably been a lot more complications if I didn't have access to health care. So all of those different uh, situations that some women have to deal with, you know, obesity, access to health care, low income, all of those things kind of make up a perfect storm for for the end result. Exactly. I mean, everybody sees the end result that it's so easy for everybody to be pregnant, young or old, but it it can be very complicated if you have... Um, risk factors, especially if you have high blood pressure. Because That's the word I was looking for, risk, yeah. risk factors. Yeah. Okay. Jesse Jackson, not giving up despite having Parkinson's disease, says, I will need your prayers and keep hope alive. Jesse Jackson, longtime civil rights activist and the founder of the Rainbow Push Coalition, has publicly announced that he is battling Parkinson's disease. He is currently 76 years old and has been fighting for equal rights since the 1960s here's some of what he had to say in his official statement to the media i'm sure he had a lot i'm sure yeah some of what he had to say (laughs) on july 17 1960 i was arrested along with seven other college students for advocating for the right to use a public library in my hometown of greenville south carolina i remember it like it was yesterday for that day changed my life forever from that experience i lost my fear of being jailed for a righteous cause I went on to meet Dr. King and dedicate my heart and soul to the fight for justice, equality, and equal access. In the the tradition of the Apostle Paul, I have offered myself, my mind, body, and soul as a living sacrifice. Throughout my career of service, God has kept me in the embrace of his loving arms and protected me and my family from dangers, seen and unseen. Now in the latter years of my life as 76 years old, I find it increasingly difficult to perform routine tasks and getting around is more of a challenge. He goes on to say, I will continue to try to instill hope in the hopeless, expand our democracy to the disenfranchised and free innocent prisoners around the world. I'm also spending some time working on my memoir so I can share with others the lessons I have learned in my life of public service. I steadfastly affirm that I would rather wear out than rust out. I want to thank my family and friends who continue to care for me and support me. I would need your prayers 
and grateful understanding as I undertake this new challenge. Keep hope alive, Reverend Jesse L. Jackson, Sr. Yeah, he he just came out with that. That's kind of interesting. Have they ever really said what Parkinson's is? Is it, you know, hereditary or your environment? I don't know. know. I know. Okay. I think I'm on the baby theme today, okay? Mm -hmm. Um, Disabled veteran helps deliver daughter on the sidewalk. That would be very interesting. Um, The birth of a baby is a momentous occasion for any family, but for one disabled veteran and his fiancée, uh, where and how their daughter was born was made made all special. Last Tuesday, Marcus Nash and Charlie White were just steps outside of their front door and on their way to the hospital when White was overcome with pain. Um, when that last pain hit, I knew it was time and I couldn't stop, White told the news outlet. Nash, who has post-traumatic um, stress disorder, PTSD, quickly guided White to the nearby cement and sprang into action. I laid her down right there, he told the news outlet, pointing to the sidewalk. The baby was coming out. With the help of two neighbors, Nash coached White through the delivery of Marley Jane while waiting for an ambulance crew to arrive. Cardina Williamson and Bree Anderson provided blankets and towels to White and the baby. I don't know what what I have done, Nash told um, Fox 5 in Atlanta. I could have been waiting for the ambulance to come and a whole baby with a whole baby in my hand. That's kind of amazing. I know what I would have done. She should have went up against a tree. I wonder if there are any trees. But you know, in Atlanta, they don't have a whole lot of trees. They just got a lot of peach tree streets. They got enough. (laughs) And that was a look at African-American headline news from around the world for this week. Tune in again next week for the latest news on and for the African-American community. We want to know what you think of current black issues and your comments to bring it on at wfhb.org for Bring It On. I'm William Hosea. What would you have done? And I'm Leela Randall. I'd have passed out. (laughs) You're listening to Bring It On, Indiana's only public affairs program dedicated to the African-American community here on WFHB 91.3 FM on your radio and live on the web at (laughs) wfhb.org. We go high when they go low. I know they don't know what they're doing when they tell their lies, spread around rumors. I know they're still human and they need my love. Gonna stand side by side, our hearts in command 
what they're doing. They tell their lies, spread around rumors. I know they're still human, and they need my love. Gonna stand side by side, our hearts in command. Support for WFHB comes from Limestone Post, an online culture and lifestyle magazine for Bloomington and beyond. Explore articles, photo essays, and videos on the arts, outdoors, local history, community events, and all the topics that make Bloomington such a great place to live. Limestone Post, writers with a voice, photographers with a vision, online at limestonepostmagazine.com. And it is now time for Bring It On. You just heard We Go High, another selection by Mavis Staples from her If All I Was Black CD. It's time to bring you the events of interest in the black community for Bring It On. I'm William Hosea. And I'm Leela Randall. What's going on? This well, week? what's going on is we have two free mentoring programs. Delta Academy and Delta Gems are free mentoring programs for young African-American ladies ages 11 to 18 sponsored by the Delta Sigma Theta Sorority, Inc., Bloomington Alumni Chapter. The kickoff event was held on September 30th. For more information about the Delta Academy and the Delta Gems, email deltaacademybac at gmail.com. Bethel AME Church is also hosting free homework help every Wednesday from 6 to 7.30 p.m. Students will receive tutoring from IU graduate and professional students. The address for Bethel AME is 302 North Rogers Street. And for more information about that program, send an email to Bethel Homework Help. That's a pretty simple one. Bethel Homework Help at gmail.com. Okay. Um, okay, Arsenio Hall, live in Bloomington, when um, Friday, December 1st at 10.30 and Saturday, December 2nd at 8 and 10 p.m. Where? At the Comedy Attic. That's at the corner of 4th and Walnut. And general admission tickets are $35. General admission, $35. $35. Bucks. To see him go hoo, 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 so, in the dog pound, right? Remember? Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, he started that, didn't he? Yes, he goes hoo, hoo, hoo. <laughs> the Jacobs School of Music student to perform neo-soul, jazz, and world music at the Bishop. So what is the Bishop? Not all musicians are comfortable representing genres from neo-soul, jazz, and world music, but Destiny Autumn Tucker is. On November 30th, the vocalist, instrumentalist, and songwriter and her band, The Free Will Project, will bring her dynamic sound to the Bishop Bar. Okay. Tucker is currently a jazz studies student at IU through the Jacobs School of Music, according to the Bishop's website. She is already an established up-and-coming performer and has worked with Don Braden, Roseanne Vitro, Bobby McFerrin, Janice Siegel, Damon Meter, Tierney Sutton, and Jimmy Heath. Okay, sound like there's a lot going on this weekend. Yeah. So if you have an event or happening the African American community should know about, please send that info directly to the Bring It On staff. 
Or if you want additional information about a calendar item that you've heard tonight, you can contact us at bringiton at wfhb.org. And again, we want to thank Dr. Mark K. Winston, Assistant Superintendent of Curriculum and Instruction for the Monroe County Community Schools Corporation, for joining us for a discussion on a variety of topics pertaining to the MCCSC. Well, Our show's producer is Clarence Boone with help from WFHB News Department Director Wes Martin. Our board engineer is Kirsten Payton. Our original theme music was created by Jamil Effiam with additional background tracks by David Baker. For WFHB, I'm William Hosea. And I'm Leela Brando. Please tune in next Monday, December 4th at 6 p.m. for another exciting Bring It On broadcast right here on your community radio st- station, WFHB. You've been listening to Bring It On, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.